I'm Chanae Ogwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Blue Wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Quarterback. Stafford, step it up. Going left side. Watch Calvin. Enzo got him. Oh, baby, that was a rocket. And it's picked off. Intercepted by Darius Slade. No one will catch him. Touchdown. Welcome to another episode of the Michael Rothstein Show. I am your host, Michael Rothstein. This episode brought to you by Indeed and Bet Online. So, I'm just going to start with this. It is my birthday. I turned 40 today. So, I'm going to wish a happy birthday to myself as we start and jump in to this podcast. It's going to be a mailbag episode of the podcast today. We've got a couple of lines, things to hit on beforehand because obviously the trade deadline came and went with no deals made for the Lions either way. So things stay status quo. Marvin Jones remains a Lion. on Johnson remains a Lion. Quiet all around the league. Not super surprising considering the COVID pandemic and everything that that means where you trade for a guy and you're not going to be able to get him until next week and that kind of pushes everything back. Plus, it wouldn't shock me with the Lions, at least, if the injury situations that they have with Kenny Galladay at the moment, with Trey Flowers at the moment, maybe curtailed some moves they might have considered or might have made. Don't know that for sure, but you have to think that with some of their injury situations, you don't necessarily want to trade some of those other guys. And also with the way Adrian Peterson has been performing, you probably don't want to trade away carry on Johnson because at some point and I asked Daryl Bevel about this today on Tuesday like is there a point where you move to carry on Johnson and away from Adrian Peterson and he kind of gave a long answer just the gist of his they're evaluating everything they always are but that's probably why you didn't see some moves made plus who knows if there were takers and there's also someone else Jared Davis who is a guy that People thought might move on trade deadline day, but Jared Davis ended up on the COVID-19 reserve list. He's the first player on the Lions to be on that list since August, which is frankly a really good thing done by the Lions. It shows that they've taken it really seriously. We obviously don't know whether Jared Davis tested positive or whether or not this is a close contact situation, but Jared Davis is on the COVID-19 reserve list, and obviously we'll end up looking in the next couple of days to see what this might mean for the Lions and and whether he comes off and what all of that means. So it's just going to be something to watch and monitor as things go forward here, but it's really the first time the Lions have had to deal with this since the start 
of training camp when they had a bunch of guys, including TJ Hawkinson and Kenny Galladay, end up on the list. Uh, a couple of other things here, just kind of clerical stuff before we jump into the break and then into the mailbag. It's going to be a little bit different this week on the podcast. Instead of the five keys episode, we're going to not do that this week. And we instead have an interview with Jason Cabinda coming up on Thursday. And then we'll have our typical interview with the Vikings beat writer, Courtney Cronin, on Friday. And other than that, like that might be what we end up doing and how we end up switching things around. If we do have interviews, we might pull away from the five keys. If you like the five keys and you really want those, let me know and we can you know, maybe move things around a little bit more depending on when I get interviews and maybe Tuesday becomes interview day. Uh, but I got Jason on the, on the Zoom on Tuesday. We chatted for a while. It's a fun conversation. And you'll be able to hear that on the podcast on Thursday as we kind of go back to our podcast roots a little bit where we had much more player interviews and trying to line a few more up here, former and current players here in the coming weeks so we'll be back right after this with the lion's mailbag for the week right here on the michael rothstein show even though sports had a break your business didn't you have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever and indeed is here to help indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because indeed gets you the best people fast Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. The wait is over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today. And get, take advantage of all of the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. Bet online, you're online. Sportsbook experts. Welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us. And we're just going to jump right into questions here. The first one from Gar Johnson at Gar Johnson one And this is more of a fun question to start out with. What was the best restaurant that you experienced while covering a Lions road game? I cannot think of any questions related to the current state of the Lions because they are a bad team that needs to make wholesale changes. So, all right. Uh, the second part of that notwithstanding, and 
we've talked about that a lot and we'll continue to talk about it in this podcast and next podcast and the podcast after that. This is going to be a theme for a while. Best restaurant that I have experienced while covering a Lions road game. That's a really tough question. I, I would say maybe 2014 in London, most if not all of the press corps that was in London, we went to STK, which is a steakhouse. It was actually... I guess, World Champagne Day or National Champagne Day. And they were giving out free champagne. And if you ever eaten at STK, the steakhouse is amazing. Uh, it's a chain steakhouse, but it's so, so good. This was back when I ate red meat. I don't eat red meat anymore or haven't at least since January 1st. But that meal was fantastic. I remember, I think we saw some Lions players there as well. I, I wish I remembered who it was. It might have been the offensive line or the defensive line that was also eating at the restaurant in London when we were. That place was fantastic. That's up there. Another one for me was in New Orleans. Uh, I really like Bacchanal Wine in New Orleans. That place is really, really good. There's a few other places in New Orleans that, uh, if you remember Josh Katzenstein, he used to cover the Lions for the Detroit News, and then he was working in New Orleans for a while. He's still down there. We usually try to do a meal with him, a bunch of the people on the beat, whenever we go down there, and he usually finds a really great spot. I think we went to Merrill's, which is one of Emerald's restaurants, the last time we were down there, and that place was amazing. Uh, so big fan of that. I'm trying to think, uh, in Seattle, I've gone to a bunch of places, a lot of, like, I think red ginger is the name of that, but I don't remember if that was a road trip game or if that was just going to see one of my friends who lives out in Seattle. Obviously I'm biased with New York and can list a whole bunch of restaurants. That's a really tough question for me. Philly, I ate at a lot of really good places the last time I was there last year, Whew, I, I don't know what the best one was. I'll go with STK in London just because that's the one that came to my mind immediately. But if you ever are going to any NFL city and need a recommendation for food, feel free to hit me up in uh, on Twitter or on Instagram. And I'm more than happy to make recommendations that I've found along the way because that's kind of one of my favorite things. Like Arizona has a bunch of great food as well, especially like tacos down there. Uh, Taco Church, I'm blanking on the actual name of it, but that's like kind of the colloquial name is Taco Church with some of the better tacos I've ever had. So yeah, those are just some. Uh, I wish I had one definitive answer for you. I do not uh, because I've eaten so many good meals on the road, thankfully. St. Elmo's obviously in Indianapolis is, is another one. Alan Perlstein at Al the Lion asks, with little depth, our offensive line seems to deteriorate quickly with injuries. The run game suffers. Since Bevel's offense is dependent on a productive running game, do you think that Bevel should just let Stafford be a gunslinger in a two-minute offense until the O-line heals? So I understand the philosophy there, but I just don't see it happening because you kind of saw what happened against the Colts as what could happen if that goes wrong, and that is the defense ends up getting put in a situation where they're on the field all the time and they tire out. So I don't think that you can really do that. And I wouldn't even say the offensive line has deteriorated with injuries so far. I think their mistake was shifting the offensive line that was playing well against Jacksonville and Atlanta and going to Vitae at tackle and Dahl at guard instead of keeping 
Vitae at guard and Crosby at tackle because Crosby, I think, was out playing, you know, was playing pretty well. So that to me was the bigger mistake. It seemed like they had really found something and were able to run the ball a little bit. Um, the other thing, too, is if the offensive line is struggling, they're also probably struggling in pass pro, and that's not going to help Stafford at all if you're dropping them back 50 times a game because you might get sacked five or six times. So I don't know if that's the solution either. I think they need to just be a little less predictable with what they do, which can maybe lead to more play action, which can lead to less you know, pinning your ears back and rushing the passer or like collapsing down in the box. And if they do that, I think that that could ameliorate some of the offensive line problems that they have been having in the last game or so. But there were times throughout the year so far where the offensive line has played good. So I think it's a recency bias as well that they're not playing well. I mean, I think Frank Ragnow and Taylor Decker have been playing very well most of the season. I think they need to, obviously, we don't know what's going to happen with Vitae. That's one of the things we have to watch today as far as his foot injury. But what they do at guard and kind of how they handle some of those situations. I think Jonah Jackson just had a bad day against the Colts. And listen, the Colts defense is really good. And also realistically, Jonah Jackson's going to have a bad day here or there. He's a rookie still learning. So I'm not totally sold. That the offensive line is like this big problem. I think they just had a bad day. Bobby four, three, zero seven, six. One asks, seems like the last couple games, Adrian Peterson just hasn't done much in the running game. Has age finally caught up to him? Is it time to put carries into KJ and Swift? Well, so DeAndre Swift's getting the majority of the work anyway. I asked Daryl Bevel about this, as I referenced before, and I actually wrote about it on Tuesday, that Adrian Peterson's yards per carry have dropped every game so far this season. Bevel said, like, you can't just look at it like that. You have to look at other factors. We did look at those other factors. They're largely running him up the middle, which has led to varying levels of success, less so lately. So I don't know if it's that age has caught up to him, although I think that he's not running with the same speed that he has in the past. But I think it's a combination of the offensive line struggling against the Colts, and I think it's a combination of the runs that they are giving him, and it's a combination of, yeah, him just being a little bit older. I don't understand why they haven't given the ball to carry on Johnson more. Uh, I don't understand why he's not more part of the offense. Again, he ends up being very predictable when he's coming in and pass only situations. He's on, He just hasn't carried the ball much. They're barely throwing it to him. He's clearly in for pass pro, and that's it. So I, I don't have a real good answer for you there on why they're doing what they're doing. Only that it hasn't really worked in the last couple of weeks. And I think DeAndre Swift is getting more run and likely will continue to get that type of run. I mean, Bevel even said it on Tuesday that he wants to keep getting the ball too swift. So clearly they're high on him. And I think the question is just who ends up being the back that spells him at this point, whether it's Peterson or it ends up being on Johnson. And I have a hard time seeing them moving away from Peterson exactly. But at some point, you kind of have to look at it. And I think if he has a couple more games like he had on Sunday, you, you really have to consider it. Big Roo, who's at RooBoy12974, says, An idea for you, Michael. What if the XFL was a lower-level comp that was run by the NFL? More local, yearly bad teams like the Lions would go down there and improving teams would come up for the NFL. Make owners more accountable. Please help long-suffering Lions fans. In the lower competition, there would only be local TV deals. No national tickets would be cheaper, et cetera, et cetera. Force owners with 
an incentive to keep them honest and help the fans. I love the idea because I am a fan of European football, which, as everyone knows, has promotion and relegation. And I think it makes for a more competitive thing altogether because even teams at the bottom have no incentive to tank like you do if you are a team at the bottom of the NFL or the NBA or the NHL. Uh, or Major League Baseball, where it gets you a higher draft pick, because if you tank too much, then all of a sudden, oh no, like you're actually in the, the separate division. I would have loved to see that. I'd love to see that happen with American soccer, because I think you could do that with some of the, the lower leagues, particularly maybe the USL. But in the NFL, I just can't see that because, I mean, I'd love to see it in college football, really. I've always thought like a Big Ten Mac. Pac-12, Mountain West, uh, SEC Sunbelt, ACC, I, I don't even, you know, I, I don't know what the other conference would be there, but I, I would love to see that in college football, but the problem is college football schedules are planned out so far in advance. I just don't think you can do it in the NFL because there's not even like a minor league that's been sustainable. Like that's the thing is the XFL hasn't been sustainable the xl xfl and the aaf before it were lower level competitions were i mean the aaf stated it. i remember sitting with bill polian in san antonio and they basically said they wanted to eventually be a feeder league for the nfl like that was the plan that was the goal they wanted to work with the nfl but the thing is is that the feeder league for the nfl the developmental league for the nfl is college football so there's just not that ability to do that and I don't think you would get owners that would buy into that because of the amount of lost revenue that you would see if your team got relegated now that's a worn and like understood system in Europe like that's just what is acceptable in Europe where I think that if you went to the system that exists in the United States and tried to implement that in Europe they would be like no we're not doing that either much like you know, similar situation here where if you try to implement the relegation system in the United States, it just wouldn't fly. So I just, I can't see that happening. I love the concept. I love the idea. I wish there was a way to make it work because I think it would make a whole bunch of stuff more exciting. It would make a lot of these late season games when you're seeing like, I, I don't know if they play this year, but like if the Jags, it, like say like the Jaguars and the Jets played uh, in week 16 or week 17, that could be a, that would be a huge game like that could get national attention because of relegation and i think fans would care more and fans would be more engaged i'd love to see it i just don't know how you create that at this point in the united states with any of the major sports leagues out there just because of how they are structured and and how that works i just i think you need a complete redisbursement of an entire league kind of similar to like a Madden fantasy draft or an NBA 2K fantasy draft to have any shot of that happening. But I love, love, love the concept. Hail Mary. I ain't lying. Stafford is my QB. Kind of love that name, which is at Lamos underscore Mary. But her question is what are the chances of a total rebuild of this team? I can't imagine watching Stafford play for another team. What's your personal feeling about this? My personal feeling is I'm going to cover whatever happens, whatever happens. But, yeah, if they go through a rebuild, that new GM and new head coach is going to have to really ask themselves if they think Matthew Stafford is the guy. And at 
what will be what, 33 years old at that point. If you're going through a total rebuild, you're probably looking at two to three years. And at that point, Stafford's 35 or 36. You have to have to have signed him to another contract at that point. I don't know. That's a large ask where, depending on what pick you have, you you're maybe going to need to, you know, draft a rookie. And and that's just the reality of I think if they're going to tear it down and have a complete rebuild is the fact that at some point they might move on from Matthew Stafford whether that's this offseason or next offseason, try to get some sort of capital for him, be it in draft picks or players to help the rebuild along, but that's just I think the reality of what's going to happen. Look, and this is just the truth of it. It rarely ends well for franchise quarterbacks with the team that they've been on for so long. And you can just look look right now. Tom Brady is in Tampa Bay. Now, granted, that was his decision. He's playing quite well, but he didn't spend his whole career in one place. Peyton Manning, they moved on from Peyton Manning because they could get Andrew Luck. And Peyton Manning ended up doing all right in Denver. Brett Favre, we all saw what happened in Green Bay, and then he goes to Minnesota and the Jets. Aaron Rodgers, they've drafted his replacement in Jordan Love. The question is just whether or not like Aaron Rodgers will play well enough to kind of fend that off. It's just Eli Manning when they drafted Daniel Jones. Kurt Warner, I mean, granted, he wasn't in with the Giants for that long, but when they drafted Eli Manning. So these things happen a lot. This is not something that's like new. It's something that's happened over and over again throughout the course of the NFL. And I get that it's a difficult thing for fans to to grasp. And, you know, it's it's tough. But like endings just don't always go well. You don't get that storybook. You don't get the the ending that you that maybe the player wants or the franchise wants. Now, it's possible they keep Matthew Stafford and they roll with him for, you know, five more years and he retires with the Lions and and all of that. That's entirely possible, but if you're going to be going th- through a total rebuild, which if they get rid of Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn, one would think that that is going to be on the table. If I am ownership, and again, this is just me being ownership, I am giving them complete control over whether or not they want Matthew Stafford to be their quarterback in the long term. And whatever their decision is, no matter how I would feel about Matthew Stafford as the Ford family, and the Ford family clearly loves Matthew Stafford. There's no question about that, that you abide by that. Matthew Stafford has been very good to the Detroit community. I think he's been a very good representative for the Detroit Lions, and I think he's been a really good player. But at some point, if they are going to rebuild, you have to understand that that might not be with Matthew Stafford at quarterback because you're rebuilding in the hopes of like for seven, eight years down the road. And at some point you have to wonder where Matthew Stafford will be as a player in that time frame. What are the chances that they do have a total rebuild? I don't know. You know what? I think Sunday mix will tell us a lot. If they go to Minnesota and lose to the Vikings, that puts them at, uh, at what, three and five in the midway point. So you figure that they probably have to go to five and three in the back half of the season to get to eight and eight. And to me, I think you'd have to be 500 to keep your job if you're Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn. That's just my speculation. So I would say, you know, let's see what happens. Mary, ask me that question again a week from now and uh, 
and maybe there's a, a stronger answer there. Honolulu Blues, who's at H Bromo one asks hindsight obviously is twenty twenty, but in what universe was Jelani Tavai ever going to be a better second round investment than DK Metcalf? I do not know this universe, man. I just do not. Now I understand what the Lions saw in Tavai, what with what they're trying to build defensively. And listen, other teams passed on DK Metcalf too. Actually, all of them did that had picks in the first round. And a lot of people thought DK was going to be a first round player, but you know, the combine didn't go that great. And there were some questions and all of that, but man, DK Metcalf's really good. He's really, really good. And you know, he's only going to get better and he's playing with Russell Wilson. That's going to only make him even better. And they've got Tyler Lockett. So he's got, you know, a receiver with them that's going to take attention away from him. So it's not like a Calvin Johnson situation where he's going to get double and triple teamed. Because, yeah, I know it's probably blasphemous in Detroit to make that comparison between DK and Calvin Johnson. But you look at the body type and you look at the, the freakish athletic ability and you can see shades of Calvin in DK. I don't think DK is there yet by any stretch of the imagination, but you can see it. You can see where that athleticism is. And DK Metcalf's going to be, as long as he can stay healthy, he's going to be a great receiver in this league for a long time. To me, he's a guy that is going to jump into that Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins type conversation probably soon, if not, you know, maybe next year even. I don't, that's how high I am on DK Metcalf. He's a great player. He has the potential to be a really great player. So, no, I don't think that that was a better second-round investment by taking Jelani Tavai. But I think you can say that, frankly, about almost any player that was taken in the second round of the draft before DK Metcalf. And, I mean, let's just, to be fair to the Lions here, right, let's just look at some of that before of players that were taken in the second round before DK. Because it's not just the Lions that pass on him. I mean, Arizona took Andy Isabella two picks before him. You're telling me they wouldn't want D.K. Metcalf? Imagine D.K. Metcalf and DeAndre Hopkins. Heck, they might not even trade for DeAndre Hopkins if they had D.K. Metcalf. The Colts took Paris Campbell, a wide receiver. And, I mean, Paris Campbell had all the speed and has the potential to be really good. He can't stay healthy. You think the Colts wouldn't want him? Look at what the Colts did with T.Y. Hilton and, you know, T.Y. Hilton was hurt half the game and some of the other receivers they have. Miko Hardman, good pick. But I think the Chiefs, imagine the Chiefs with DK Metcalf. Like so, you know, the Eagles would kill to have DK Metcalf instead of JJ Arcega Whiteside. And we're just looking at teams that took receivers here. AJ Brown, good pick by the Titans. And I think you can maybe argue that, you know, you can you'd live with either one and be happy. Uh, but just look at I mean, the, the Patriots took Jojuan Williams. You think they wouldn't want DK Metcalf? I mean, obviously, it took him a couple picks after the Lions took Tavai. So, uh, there are a lot of teams that pass on. Heck, even the Seahawks passed on Metcalf in the second round. They took Marquise Blair, the safety out of Utah, before they took DK Metcalf with the last pick in the second round. So, a lot of teams passed on DK Metcalf. Some teams passed on him twice. Some teams passed on him three times. So, yeah. A lot of teams did this. I don't think anyone expected him to necessarily be doing what he's doing right now. But he's super, super good. 
Jason M., who's at GQ Jason, asks, I hate asking this as he's my favorite player, but should the Lions trade Stafford just so he can escape the hellhole of suck that is this team? He clearly is a great quarterback and could win a Super Bowl on another team. The only way Lions go to the Super Bowl is buying tickets. This year, I would agree with you. Uh, but obviously, trade deadline has come and gone, and they were never trading Matthew Stafford anyway for multiple reasons, uh, largely being the cap and the current situation of the coach and general manager, and that who's going to replace him just weren't going to do that. The offseason, though, again, I think it depends on what you're looking at and who's running the team. I think if it's Patricia and Quinn, they're keeping Stafford. I think if it's a new regime, I think all bets are off and it's going to depend on who that is and how comfortable they feel with him and whether they feel he's the guy still. Um, Whether they should trade him to get him a different spot. I mean, you know, if Stafford goes to them and asks for a trade, I think that the Lions should honor that. But there's been no indication that he's done that or will do that. So... I think that that's a, a moot thing and a, a speculative thing that doesn't make sense to to answer. But, I mean, if they if he went to them at that point, I, I would think that the Lions should consider it even heavily. Uh, but barring that, I think it's going to be the decision of the GM and the head coach in the offseason, whoever that is, be it this year or next year, what they're going to do with Matthew Stafford. And, you know, and then at that point, you, should, you would think that, the only type of team that would trade for him would be one that is maybe a quarterback away from being a Super Bowl contender if they believe that Matthew Stafford's that guy in the short-term window. So you'd have to look around the league at that point and try to figure out what teams that might be. You know, Does that end up being Minnesota in a year? Does that end up being... I'm, I'm trying to you know say... Say Tom Brady retires in Tampa, like you look at what else has been set up around that team at this point, and that's a situation that would potentially make a lot of sense if and when Tom Brady retires, uh, if Stafford ends up being on the market at that point in time. That that actually makes a ton of sense to me as I think about it. But that's all in the future. None of that's happening before the end of the season, so we'll have plenty of time to talk about that. But I, I don't think that happens as far as trading him unless there's a new regime in place. Tyler Thurmond, who's at T Thurmond 4 asks, does this loss change anything regarding the leash of Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia? It sounded like they were both going to have the remainder of the year to figure it out, but if things go south fast, could they be canned during the season? I think at this point, you're probably not going to see that. They're competitive, the three and four. Now, I mean, if they go out and lose their next, you know, four games here, then I think maybe Sheila Ford Hamp has a decision to make after Thanksgiving. That's, to me, the next quote-unquote inflection point. But at this point, one would think, as long, especially if they end up having to add an eighth playoff team, you're not going to get rid of them while you still have a shot at the playoffs. I just can't see them doing that. So to me, that means that these guys are going to get to the end of the year to, to figure it out. But the question is going to be, have you seen progress? Have you seen major improvement? What we've seen so far, especially considering they were basically in this exact same spot uh, only they didn't trade away the Golden Tate equivalent being Marvin Jones this year at the deadline to 2018. That season ended 6-10. and 10. I think if you see a similar situation at that point, that's not a good thing for Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia because you haven't shown major improvement. So I think they'll get to the end of the year unless things go really, really, really bad the next month here because these are games that are toss-ups or winnable games. 
Jeremy Friedrichs, who's at FriedrichsJK, asks, As if the Lions didn't have enough issues, is it time to start worrying about Matt Prater? Already five missed field goals this year, same amount as all of 2019. I asked Braden Combs about this. Not that worrying about Prater, but just kind of what happened on that field goal. And he said that that is the first one where they felt like he didn't connect with the ball all that strongly or all that well in the missed field goal on Sunday. So I wouldn't say it's time to worry about Matt Prater, but Braden definitely said that they kind of, instead of worrying about game-specific stuff, they kind of went back to basics, went back to training camp stuff, went back to fundamentals this week. Sounds like they're trying to make, you know, kind of get everybody right. I did ask him whether the hold to snap was an issue. He said it was not an issue in this game. So it kind of sounded like he put it on Prater and that it was Prater's mistake. So it looks like they're at least trying to rectify it at this point. I don't think you have to worry about Matt Prater because I think he's still a consistent kicker. And I can't see the Lions making a move there. But it's clear that the Lions are trying to work with him to get whatever's going on there kind of hammered out and, and figured out a little bit. Steven, who's at not underscore here, the Lions went 0-9 at this point last year. They proved today that they're getting worse should the Lions make a big trade before Tuesday obviously this question was asked on Sunday should they have made a big trade you know they they just didn't have the option I don't think because Kenny Galladay got hurt so you couldn't really move on Marvin Jones um, Jared Davis obviously is now on the COVID list. You couldn't move Jared Davis. I, I wouldn't have moved on from carry on Johnson because running back is a position where, you know, you're one injury away from being in a really tough spot as we talked about earlier on this podcast and also on yesterday's show. So I, I don't think that they had a big move to make. And also if you look around the league, there were, there were not a lot of moves period to make. So I, I, I think that they, they kind of, had to stay put. They made the move that they needed to make last week in getting Everson Griffin. We'll see what that ends up looking like and how that ends up setting up here starting this week. But that ended up being a really smart move for them since Trey Flowers is now an injured reserve because they need Everson Griffin now. If they didn't make that move, their pass rush and their defensive end position would be in really big trouble. Stephen Mallet, who's at Stephen underscore Mallet, asks, does this coaching staff lack the ability to make fundamental adjustments at halftime? Rate this coaching staff against the last three other coaching staffs. Well, if we're doing it against the last three, that includes Marinelli. This coaching staff is better than that. I don't think this coaching staff has done a good, as good of a job as Jim Caldwell. I think that's shown in record, and I think that that's also shown largely in second-half play. The Lions would often come from behind under Jim Caldwell. They have rarely done that under Matt Patricia. So I look at overall what their defense, offense and defense has done. I think offensively, I think they are a little bit better than they were under Jim Caldwell as far as like explosiveness. Because remember, under Cooter for the most part and definitely under Joe Lombardi, they were predictable and they were not a great offense at any point other than in those last couple of minutes of the fourth quarter. And then... In on defense, I mean, I think Terrell Austin probably did a better job, especially that 2014 season, which the Lions don't have anything like that under Matt Patricia. So defensively, I would say the same thing. Special teams, I would give to this current coaching staff because Braden Combs is doing a great job with special teams, even though Matt Prater's missed field goals. What they've done with Jack Fox is really good. Their coverage has largely been solid. Their return game has been really good. So I think that that's gone well there. 
As far as compared to Schwartz, that's a tough comparison just because of the starting point coming out of 0-16. Uh, I thought Schwartz's staff largely did what they could. They also had a younger quarterback in Matthew Stafford who was growing. I think it's tough to compare that. Um, I would say their defense was probably better. Their offense certainly was better. So I guess I would give it to Schwartz's staff as well. Again, they made a playoff appearance. They were a couple of collapses, late season collapses away from a couple of other playoff appearances. So I think that they were overall on the whole, the record was better and certainly more competitive. So I would give it to Schwartz too. If you ask me to rank them, I would probably go Caldwell, Schwartz, Patricia Marinelli. But that also kind of fits in with record. Garrett Tenhave-Chapman, who's at 10 Chaps, asks, When they win, they look good enough to give us diehards some happiness and hope. But when they lose, they look so, so bad. Um, there's not a question in there, but I would agree with you. At, at least when the losses, there are points where they look really bad, whether it's fourth quarter collapses or second half collapses or second quarter just meltdowns. There are points where they look terrible, and that's a big part of the problem. Eric Hipple fan, who's at Spleen95 short BR, did the Lions have 10 men on the field for a two-point conversion defense? Caldwell was roasted for the same act. Why should Patricia get a free pass? Um, I didn't catch on to this until Monday, so I didn't get a chance to really ask uh, him about it on Sunday. And then on Monday, just the way the structure was with timing, we could only get a certain amount of questions into Matt Patricia. So I felt the need to ask about Kenny Galladay at that point. That seemed more important to me at the time. I did ask Corey Undlin about this today. And Corey Undlin was very upfront, very, very matter of fact, said that's bad coaching. That's what that is. And I give Corey Undlin credit that he basically put it on the coaching staff and that, yeah, it was bad coaching. He explained a little bit more of what happened. One was a communication issue. The other one was going from a third down to a first down. And again, there were some communication problems. But at the end of the day, it's on Patricia. It's on Undlin to make sure that they have 11 guys. And if you don't have 11 guys, you call a timeout and you rectify that. You don't want to burn the timeout, but sometimes you have to versus playing with 10 men on the field. So that's kind of, yes, it happened. Yes, it happened twice. I don't think Patricia's getting a free pass on it. Uh, I think just there were so many things that happened in that game on Sunday, particularly with injuries, that there there were different types of questions that needed to get asked. But like I said, again, um, I would have asked it on Sunday had I noticed it, but I had missed that on Sunday. And that's not abnormal sometimes on Sundays. Like I remember even when Caldwell had it happen multiple times, Caldwell at 12, Caldwell at 10, that a lot of times that didn't come up unless it was 12 men and uh, and it was an obvious 12 men and not a running off the field 12 men situation uh, that was flagged. Usually it came up on Monday unless someone on Twitter happened to point it out and I got that attention, but that just didn't happen on Sunday. Victor Gonzalez, who's at Victor G six five zero three six four nine eight, asks why can't the Lions run rub routes or motion plays like all other offenses in the league? I don't know. I think they do run some motion. They don't run a ton of motion, and I think you saw some kind of rub pick routes, but not a lot. And we've seen teams get flagged for it in the past. I, you know, I I don't have a great answer for you there, uh, and there's not one that I can really give you. So that that's just me kind of punting on this question, but. You know, we'll see what happens on Sunday, and I can always ask Daryl Bevel about that 
next week it like what his philosophy is on motion and what his philosophy is on rub routes if uh if they don't really do any of it again against the Vikings. Uh Brad Thompson, who's at BT Eight Ball, asks: True, what Jason Lockham Four reported was Kenny Galladay not at the facility Saturday, hit hurt hip today. First of all, okay, Kenny Galladay is legitimately injured. Like he has an injured hip. They're gonna see how he's going, but like it doesn't behoove Kenny Galladay to not play if he's healthy because that's gonna get out. He's injured. I mean, you saw him get. You, he didn't play in the second half. He was hurt. It's clear that he he's maybe not going to play this week. So don't buy into like a fake injury type situation. Like NFL players are not going to do that. As far as whether it was true what he reported, you know, I had not heard that going into Sunday's game. Matt Patricia vigorously defended that there was no issue there and that he was there when he needed to be all day and that he had no issues with Kenny Galladay on Saturday. So, if there was an issue, at least publicly, it doesn't seem like they were making any sort of big deal about it, like, uh, or it wasn't as big of a deal. But who knows behind the scenes? Like, you know, different people think different things, different people say different things. Like I said, I had not heard anything that it was like some sort of major issue or any sort of issue whatsoever. So that's kind of where things stand there. But sometimes things don't exactly get out in season. And lastly, Nate, who's at Dog 22 asks, does the Colts loss make the Lions more or less likely to be buyers on the trade market? Well, this question also old, but I want to at least give it an answer in that clearly they were neither buyers nor sellers because they did not make a move. So I want to thank all of you for listening. I know this is a weird mailbag because a lot of the questions that we asked that got asked were kind of out of date by the time we got to them on Tuesday night. But that's just comes on sometimes how we do the mailbag. And with that, I appreciate you all listening. Like I said, uh, I turned 40 today. So weird day. Not sure how I feel about that. Uh, I'm very appreciative. Like the best gift y'all can give me is leave a five-star review. Download and subscribe. Tell five friends to download and subscribe. Let's get these numbers up. And so so appreciative for you listening that's the best gift that you can give me because obviously we put a lot of work into or i do put a lot of work into the work i do for espn and the work i do here on the podcast and i'm just very appreciative for all of you so i want to thank my sponsors bet online and indeed and i want to thank blue wire podcast for hosting this podcast and you can follow me on twitter uh and on instagram at mike rothstein and with that we will talk with you tomorrow when Jason Kambida joins the show.